So Jesus was really popular at this point. He was going around teaching, and everybody thought he was amazing. This was before he really got lots of enemies. And so he was going around teaching. He was around the Sea of Galilee doing a bunch of healing and miracles, and everyone was just enamored with what Jesus was doing. But he was also tired. And so he decided, I'm going to go away to a quiet place. I'm going to get some rest. And wouldn't you know it, but they all followed him there too. And so he found himself going up to a mountain to try to get away, and the people kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And finally, there were so many people, he's like, okay, I guess I'm just going to teach everybody. So he sits down on the mountainside, and there's this natural amphitheater effect that is created, and he begins to teach. And he teaches, and he teaches, and the people keep coming, and they keep coming, until the, the Gospel of John 6, chapter 6 tells us there were 5,000 men plus women and children. And he teaches and he teaches and he teaches and the day goes on. And Jesus decides, okay, people are hungry. And so he calls over one of his 12 disciples, Philip, and he says, hey, Phil, where are you going to get bread to feed all these people? And Philip's like, oh, this is one of Jesus' trick questions again. He's like, I have no idea. And and Jesus says, go figure it out. So the 12 disciples go around and they try to figure out, okay, how are we going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children? 10,000 people, 15,000 people, who knows how many people. Eventually, Andrew, another disciple, comes back to Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, so I found a little boy who's willing to share his five loaves and his two fish. So here's some bread. It's not, it's obviously not enough. And Jesus says, actually, it's enough. And then he takes the bread. He gives thanks to the Father. He breaks the bread. He passes it. And it keeps getting broken. And more gets broken off and passed. And more gets broken off and passed. And more gets broken off and passed. And it just keeps spreading and spreading and miraculously multiplying. The people sit down on the green grass. It's early springtime. They sit down on the green grass, and they eat, the Bible says, until they are satisfied. That's a lot of eating. They eat until they are satisfied. And then Jesus keeps on teaching and teaching, and teaching, and teaching, and he teaches until it's dark outside, until it's late in the evening, and he says to the disciples, everyone's watching me. You guys just go escape. You get in your boat, and you go across the Sea of Galilee. I'll I'll eventually find you on the other side, and um, he's like, I'm going to go be by myself up on the mountain and just try to get away from the people. So the people are watching, because they want to know where this amazing Jesus is. I mean, he just was the bread distribution center for the day, and they're pretty excited about this whole crazy thing that just happened. But the disciples get in the boat, and, and the people watch them, and they, they get in their boat, and they cross the Sea of Galilee. While they were in the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up. It's late at night. There are crazy storms that can happen there, and there, the wind is blowing. Give me a little bit of wind. The wind is blowing, the waves are tossing, and it's slowing down their progression across the lake. Meanwhile, Jesus, this is a story for another day, because it's kind of a crazy thing all in and of itself, because Jesus keeps doing stuff like this. Jesus comes out walking on the water, walking on the water during a storm. 
the disciples are completely terrified, but Jesus gets in the boat. And as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, there's this miraculous movement of time and space, and they find themselves instantly on the other side of the shore in a town called Capernaum. They go to bed, and they wake up the next morning. Well, the next morning, you can imagine how the crowd over here, back on the other side, how, how they are doing. They, they're, they're saying, we know where the disciples went, but where did Jesus go? Word gets around, they figure some things out, and they realize he's, crossed this, he's across the sea somehow. Somehow he's over there. They figure out a way to also get across the Sea of Galilee. Some might have gone around the edge of the lake. But anyway, they, they come and they find him. And they meet up in Capernaum. And they say, Rabbi, how did you get here? And Jesus says, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the point. The only reason you have this question is because you want more free food. It's all about the food. Let's just face the reality here. You're only here for the bread. And then he says to them, he turns it into a little teaching moment. He says, do not work for bread that spoils, but for bread that endures to eternal life, which I will give you. And that brings us to where we are today in our passage in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we pick up in verse 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? I mean, never mind the fact that he just did a miracle of giving them food and everybody ate the bread and the fish. Never mind the fact he had a miraculous crossing of the sea. They say, we want to see another sign. Verse 31, our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what's going on here is they're saying, hey, we really liked that bread trick that you did. And they're saying it reminds us of a story from our own Jewish history where our ancestors had this experience with Moses when the, when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, how, manna br- or how Moses brought down manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And God fed the Israelites then in the wilderness for 40 years, every day, raining down manna from heaven. He would rain down the manna and they would gather it up. They said it was like, the the Bible says like white flakes and it had kind of a sweet taste to it. And they would bake it, they could fry it, they could boil it. The Bible talks a little bit about how they worked with the manna. And, And they're saying this reminds us of that. This reminds us of that. And they're making this connection here with what they just experienced with what happens to their ancestors hundreds of years prior. They've been talking to each other, and they're saying things like, this is just like what Moses did with the manna. Did you see the connection here? And they're making this connection. This connection is important because they're picking up similarities between these two stories, and they are supposed to notice this. They're supposed to notice this because Jesus is about to teach them something. Some connections between these two stories, they are both miraculous provisions of bread from heaven to people. In both cases, we have people who are hungry, who are vulnerable, who are in need, and there's a miraculous provision by God to supply for their need. We have in the Moses story, Moses going to the Lord and saying, God, where am I going to get meat to feed these people? And we have in this story, Jesus asking Philip, Philip, where can we get bread to feed these people? In both stories, there is a crossing of the sea. There's a crossing of the Red Sea for the Israelites. There's a crossing of the Sea of Galilee here. There is a, there is a, a work that is, it, we, we see re- repetition. We're supposed to be making these connections between these two stories. 
And there's one more thing that we also will see repeated in this story. There is the grumbling of the Israelites because they are hungry before God provides for their need. And also there will be a grumbling in this story too. And Jesus wants them to make these connections between Moses' manna and what they just experienced. He wants them to see the similarities because his next point is going to be, you thought Moses was great, but who you have here is much greater. Me. Here's what Jesus says. John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says to them, you're making a big deal about Moses, but the manna didn't come from Moses. The manna came from the Father. And it is the same Father who has provided bread for you. But this same Father wants to give you not only bread bread, but he wants to give you the true bread from heaven. Verse 34, Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Now listen up. Key verse. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. If you have a physical Bible, circle this statement. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, this statement is a big deal. You might not know it if, you're, if you are not Jewish. You might not have picked this up. But any time that someone were to begin a statement with the, the words, I am, and then say some grandiose statement, you better be God if you're saying those things, if you're a Jew. In fact, this harkens back to, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, there is the story of Moses, the account of Moses at the burning bush, and he meets the presence of God in the burning bush. And here in this personal encounter of Moses with God, Moses says, God, what is your name? What is your name? And God says, I will tell you my personal name. He says, my name is I am. I am who I am. I always have been. I always will be. I always am. I am. And when Jesus says, I am, and then he makes this big statement, the bread of of life. He wants the people to know he is saying, I am God. There are four gospels in the New Testament, four books that talk about the, the life of Jesus, the birth, the life and ministry of Jesus, and then his death and resurrection. And what are they in order? For those of you who know, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John here that we're in today is the fourth gospel. And every gospel has its, the, every writer of each gospel has the things that they emphasize or the way that they words or form certain things in the message. And the gospel of John is focused on the life and ministry of Jesus, but also it's organized into having seven I am statements of Jesus. Seven times that Jesus says, I am 
the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the good shepherd. We'll be talking about these in this series for the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter. All of these are about the identity of Jesus and his purpose in coming to this world. I am, Jesus says, the bread of life. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for us? First of all, it means that Jesus is essential fuel for life. He is essential fuel. He is necessary. Bread is considered to be a staple in a, in a diet. In another country, it might be rice, or it might be potatoes, or it might be something like that. Here for the Jews, it is bread. It is a basic necessity. Bread is, in fact, bread is used as a metaphorical term. Sometimes we'll say we're going to break bread together, and we, we mean we're going to eat food together. We talk about having bread, and we'll use it in a bigger term to mean food. Jesus says, I am your essential food. I am your bread. Jesus says, I am necessary. He wants us to know that having saving faith in him is necessary to our lives. Having saving faith in Jesus, it's, it's not about doing an add-on of adding Christianity to be an, a nice accompaniment or a nice complement to our lives, that he is to be the center of it all. Jesus is not an appetizer. Jesus is not a side dish. Jesus is not just dessert. He is the bread. He is essential. He is necessary. And you need him. He says, I am what makes you come alive. Without me, you do not have what you most need. He is essential for your life. Jesus is essential fuel for life. Secondly, bread of life means that Jesus uniquely satisfies. He uniquely satisfies. In, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he says, he who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, does this mean he will never, ever experience, you'll never, ever experience physical hunger or physical thirst? No. Even Jesus himself, when he's on the cross, he experiences thirst. Do you remember? He says, when he's on the cross, he says, I am thirsty. Jesus is talking here about a soul satisfaction, a satisfaction deep, deep in the soul. He uniquely satisfies. I love the part of the passage when Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And he, divide, he, has the, he says, uh, divide up the people into groups, have them sit down in groups of, I think it's 50s or 100s or something like that. He says, sit, sit them in groups and then go and distribute the food, the bread, the fish. So they have this little picnic. It's like church picnic, the church summer picnic, times a lot of people. And they, they pass out all this food, they sit and they eat, and the Bible says, and they ate until they were satisfied. It's, isn't it so nice to sit down at a meal and eat until you are satisfied? Jesus is talking, when he talks about himself as the bread of life, as I am the one who can satisfy your deepest hunger. I am the one who can satisfy your deepest desire of your soul. St. Augustine of Hippo wrote in his confessions, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. 
We have been created by God, designed by God to hunger for eternity, to want something more. That nagging sense that you have of, is, is there more to life than this? That is God-given in you. That nagging sense of, but what is this really all about? That is because God designed you for eternity. He designed you for himself. He designed you for more than what this world appears to hold. There is in every single one of us something that longs for eternity, something that longs for something bigger. Maybe you can ignore this for a lot of your life. Maybe we can get fixated on the things in front of us and the busy lives that we have. But maybe you become aware of this in a moment of crisis. You go through something and you think, is, is there more than this? Or maybe you come face to face with death. Maybe you have a health scare. Maybe someone you love has one. And all of a sudden you're thinking about the bigger things in life and finding a lot of perspective and maybe what really matters. Maybe it happens during a period of questioning when you're trying to figure out, what am I doing with my life? What am I going to be? What am I going to do? Or what have I been doing with my life? Is this all there is? And asking questions about meaning and purpose. But there is a, a soul hunger and a deeper thing that only Jesus can satisfy. Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I love that verse because it says there is a process sometimes of looking for God and finding him. But as you persist in that process, you will find him. As you go through those things, you will find him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And my, my question for you, church, is are you learning to find your satisfaction in Jesus? If you're currently dissatisfied spiritually, your task is not to give up and say, well, Jesus didn't work. Your task is to lean in, eat the bread, feed on Jesus, receive Jesus as your bread, and start filling up. I talked to somebody after the first service who said, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to do that. And he's like, I'm not satisfied yet. I feel like I've been eating and eating and eating and I'm not satisfied yet, and I'm like, you're going the right direction. If you're patient, and if you do not let pride tell you that you're, you're bigger and better than what you are, if you're humble, then you will find a deeper satisfaction. You will find a satisfaction that maybe doesn't look as flashy, maybe it doesn't have all the bling, but there's something that means something. That's what Jesus brings. Psalm 107.9 says he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You know what Jesus said about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does he say? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are blessed because they will be filled. There is a satisfaction that comes in the blessing as we seek to be satisfied in God. There's a contentment that comes, a fulfillment that comes when we patiently and persistently and humbly seek and wait for satisfaction in Jesus. There's a hymn that I grew up singing when I was little, and there's some, it's, a, it's a song about satisfaction, and it says, All my life long I have panted 
for a drink from some cool spring. I hoped it would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy, but the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Then the chorus says, Hallelujah, I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his life I now am saved. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his life. I now am saved. Only Jesus can truly satisfy. And if we are not yet satisfied, we need to keep on feeding on him. Point number three, what does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Number three, Jesus is essential fuel for the whole world. Jesus is spiritual food, not just for you, not just for the Jews, not just for people 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus. He's a spiritual food, essential fuel for the whole world. John chapter 6 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to whom? To the world. This is the same gospel, John, the same writer who says, God so loved the world. See, Jesus is not claiming to the crowd, hey, I'm here for you. He's like, I'm here for you and for everybody. I'm here for you and for all nations. I'm here for you and for all the other countries and all the other people and all the other ethnic groups, all the other languages and people groups. I'm here for everyone. And church, I think we have to grapple with this because real Christians do not believe that Christianity is just for Americans and Europeans. Real Christians believe that when Jesus says he is the only way, that means that he's for everybody and he's the only hope for everybody. It doesn't mean that we say, oh, well, you know, you've got your religion, I've got mine. It means we say, we think that our religion is Jesus is the only way, so that's the one that's it. Which is not super popular these days. And just as Jesus offended people with this, many today find this offensive, that Jesus is a God for the world. And not just a God, the God, to the exclusion of all others. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am essential fuel. I am necessary for you. I uniquely satisfy your deepest soul like nothing else can. I am bread for the whole world. I have come for the whole world. He says, I have come to provide for your deepest core need, your most essential, most basic need. I have come to meet you at that place. I am your bread of life. He continues talking with the people. There's this passage beginning in verse 36. He said, But as I told you, 
You have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He says it is God's will, it is the Father's will and hope that you believe in his Son and so be lifted up at the last day. Verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I come down from heaven? Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Skipping down to verse 47, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Once again, we have the world. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me, say feeds on me, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread, say feeds on this bread, he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66 from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am necessary. I am essential. I am for the world. I've been sent from the Father. And there's an invitation in what Jesus is giving to the people. He's giving this invitation to feed on the bread. He says, I want you to feed on the bread. Jesus said to him in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. He says, you need to feed on me. And he says in 57, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. And so he says, I want you to believe. I want you to eat. I want you to remain. I want you to feed on me. So treating Jesus as your bread of life means that you keep on returning to him as your source of strength. Just like we don't eat one meal and then we're filled up for the rest of our lives, we keep on going back to Jesus. We keep on getting filled up. We keep on eating. We keep on being saturated and filled with him. We keep on returning to him as our source of strength. We constantly return to him for our soul nutrition. It means you rely on him for strength. You're struggling, you go to Jesus, the bread of life, for your strength. You're tired, it means you go to Jesus, your bread of life, for strength. You're hungry, you're spiritually hungry, you're empty inside. It means you feast on Jesus, the bread of life, until your soul is satisfied. You receive all of the abundant bread that he is and keep pressing in to eating from this bread of life. The passage that we just read said, said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. This word remain is a key theme that keeps on surfacing in the Gospel of John. You'll actually hear about it in some of our passages coming up in the weeks to come. But this, it's this idea of remaining, to stay connected, to keep on eating, to continually return to Jesus, the bread of life. So there are a couple things about this, about this invitation that you should pay attention to. The first one is, in order to receive the bread— the people had to stay close to the presence of God. If they were going to get the bread, they had to stay close by. Take, for example, the, the Israelites in the desert. Uh, you, might, you might remember that we, have the, we had the camp of the Israelites, and in the center of the camp was the tabernacle, which was the presence of God, where God dwelled right among the people. And within the camp, it was holy. There was the presence of God. Outside the camp, it was unholy. In fact, if you were unholy, if you did bad things, if, if you were unclean, you had to actually go outside the camp because the holiness wasn't out there. The holiness was in here. And if the, the people wanted to be fed in their 40 years of wilderness wanderings, if they wanted to gather the manna, the, the manna was there in the camp. It wasn't 10 miles outside the camp. It was there in the camp. And so they had to stay close to the presence of God in order to get this manna bread of life. Similarly with Jesus, when Jesus was distributing the loaves of bread, it wasn't everybody all over ancient Israel that got the bread. It was the people who were right there in close proximity to Jesus. If you want to receive Jesus, the bread of life, you've got to stick close to him. Get close. Get, drag yourself into church. Drag your nose into your Bible. Put yourself in the presence of God and allow yourself to be there and stay close to his presence because you won't experience the bread of life unless you're staying close to him. The second thing is in order to experience God, the people had to not only receive the bread, they also had to eat it. I mean, imagine if communion, if communion was like, Come on forward, receive the bread in the cup, and uh, come and you, you take your bread, you dip it in the cup, and then you walk away and you carry it outside with you and just kind of take it home with you. No, the whole point is eating it. The Israelites, what if, what if they had the, the manna, and they went out there and they gathered it, and they played with it, and they built snowmen out of it, and who knows what they did with it, but they never ate it. Or Jesus distributing the bread to the people. He could have just passed it all and they could have just held the bread, but it doesn't do any good unless you actually lift it to your mouth, 
put it in your mouth, chew it, swallow it, and receive it. And so not only do we need to be in the presence of God, we need to be immersed deeply in who God is. It does no good if the bread of life is right here and you just pass on by. Part of my story of my own life with Christ is a story of experiencing Jesus, the bread of life, at a young age. I had the privilege of being raised by parents who loved Jesus, who knew about him, who taught me about him, and I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. But part of my story also involves times when I did not have Jesus be the bread of life in my life. He was not primary. I did not treat him as essential. I let him be not that important in my life. And as I was reflecting on three significant times in my life when I did not live with Jesus as my bread of life, I found myself really, really challenged of what it means to have Jesus as the center and Jesus not as the center. The first one for me was when I was 16 years old. At that point in my life, Jesus defined a big part of my life. I was in youth group every week. I was in Sunday school. I was in church a million times a week every day. I even was having devotions on a consistent basis as a teenager. But Jesus was not my bread. He was not my primary. He was not my essential. At that time, I had two groups of friends. One of my groups of friends were Jesus-loving friends who were following, being faithful to Jesus. And the other group of friends I had were not bad people, but Jesus wasn't as big a deal to them as he was to my other group. And I spent time with both groups of friends. I figured I could do both. I figured I could hold both intention, and I still love Jesus. It wasn't that. It's just that Jesus wasn't first. And in that stage of my life, I wanted, I was trying to figure out who I was, trying to figure out if I was, if, where I fit with people. And at that stage of my life, when I was 16, I wanted a date more than I wanted Jesus. I wanted to find my security in being noticed and admired by somebody else. And I, I did want a godly life. I did want to follow Jesus. If you would have asked me, do you want to follow Jesus? I said, of course I'm, I want to follow Jesus. But I also wanted that self-confidence that I thought another person would give me. And I lost focus. And I lived about a year or so living two lives, holding on to two things. Jesus was not my bread. But Jesus, my bread of life, called me back to him that summer. It was the summer before my junior year of high school. I was traveling with a group of high school students on a, on a trip, and we each were responsible to lead in devotions one day, and I had to lead in devotions. And as I was reading Psalm 98, the Lord just broke through my distracted and hard heart, my heart that said, I can follow Jesus and I can do what I want at the same time. And the Lord broke through and he said, nope, you got to choose me all the way. And he called me back to him that summer. And he once again became my bread, my essential, my center. Fast forward a few years, young adult, I was 19, 20, 21, somewhere around there. And I knew a lot of the Bible. By this time, I'd read the Bible multiple times, three, four, five times. I knew the, I knew the Bible. But I was asking big questions. Questions that probably everybody asks at one time or another. And I was asking, do I really believe in this God? Do I believe in this God only? 
What makes Jesus so special? Why do I believe the Bible? And just like how in the passage we read today, some people heard the words of Jesus and they said, this is a hard teaching. That's how I felt. Some of these are hard teachings. And I was wrestling with what truth really is and if the Bible was really the answer to that truth. But in that season of struggle, year two of wrestling, when I really wasn't exactly sure where I was going to end up on the other side of it, God helped me choose him. He is my bread. And eventually when I came to the point of saying, God, I don't have it all figured out. I still, my feelings are unresolved, but I understand that what you're asking for is a commitment of faith. I'm just going to make that and hope that you work this out. And it was as I made that decision for Christ, it was as I made that decision in my head, that was when my faith reignited and began to flourish. That was when my heart eventually began to come along. And the Holy Spirit confirmed with my spirit that, yes, I was a child of God. And the third story happened to me. I was in my, my mid-30s. I had gone through a crisis in my extended family. It was public, it was painful, and it was shameful. The ugliness and the sin was so heavy, I could not fathom why God did not answer my prayers or the many prayers that other people were praying. It was clear to me that God had really messed up. Now, I didn't consider walking away from God at this point. I was far enough along in my faith. I was committed enough to Jesus to know that probably he's going to work this out, and then I'm going to have a testimony. It's going to be really annoying that he's just going to work it all out. That was how I thought of it at the time. But I still felt really unresolved. But I held quiet. I knew I wasn't going to walk away because I was too committed as a Christian, but I held quiet. And I had silent resentment building up toward God. I didn't want to trust him as my bread. I didn't let him be my bread. He was a side dish, maybe, or a dessert at that time. But he was not my center because it was clear to me that I could not trust God to provide for what I needed. It was clear to me that God was not trustworthy. That's how I thought about it. I was deeply confused. And it's too long of a story for today, but God gently brought me back to himself through, through the help of another woman who helped me spiritually navigate through those muddy waters. I did not want to pray because my prayers hadn't worked. I didn't want to pray because I'd prayed and it didn't work. But as I started eating a spiritual diet of Jesus as my bread, she kept saying, Christy, you got to get, get your head in, in the scripture. You got to get your head in the book. And I resisted and I resisted and I resisted until one day I'm like, fine, I'm just going to do it. And something broke in me that day and God showed up. And he helped me see that while my questions mattered, I was asking the wrong ones. While my questions mattered, they weren't the primary questions. And he showed me that he is my bread, that he is my essential. And that his true character, his true nature is bread, which is essential and good and tasty and delicious. He is nourishing fuel for my starving, malnourished soul. And he gently met and satisfied that chasm of pain that I had.
my bread. And my question for you today is, will you turn toward the bread? Will you feed on the bread of life today? The scripture talks about returning to the bread of life, to keep on eating, an ongoing act of eating, to eat another meal, to eat another meal, to fill up again. If you are unsatisfied in your feeding on Jesus, it just means you need to keep on eating. I don't know what your journey is going to look like. I don't know what, 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 what he's going to take you on. It might be a while. In my life and all the things I told you, each of them were probably about a one to, one to three year journey. And in that, God shaped me and changed me and deeply formed me. But my question for you is, will you receive the bread? Will you keep on feeding on the bread of life? And I want to take a moment to invite you to come forward, to come and pray at the altar and say, Jesus, I want to feed on you. Just take a few moments. If you just bow your heads where you are, and just give you an opportunity to come forward and say, Jesus, I want you to be my primary. Jesus, I want you to be my essential. Jesus, you are my basic foundation. Jesus, you are my bread. And if that's you shifting from where you've been to saying by faith you want something new, I just want to invite you to come forward and pray. And that is your, your way of signaling to God, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm seeking you. I'm feeding on you. I'm choosing you. Jesus, bread of life, you are our center. You are the only worthwhile, pure fuel. You are the only thing of substance in nutrition. You are the central, most important thing. You are the foundation of everything. And for those of us who've been tempted to make you a side dish, for those who've been tempted to treat you as a dessert, an, an added extra that we add on to our regular lives, Lord Jesus, change us. Help us to repent of our eating habits and help us instead to stop feeding on junk and stop feeding on the things that are, not, that are empty in nutrition, <laughs> spiritual nutrition, and instead feed on you. You are our only source. You are our essential. Jesus, fill us. For those who are hungry today, May they hunger and thirst for righteousness because you say they will be blessed. For those who are hungry today and are not yet satisfied, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bless them as they persevere in feeding on you and that they would find that satisfaction. And like the people who ate the bread and the fish that you distributed so many years ago, that the moment would come where they would be able to stand up and say, I have eaten and I am satisfied. Lord, for the longings that I represented here, for the decisions that I represented here, we say thank you. Thank you, bread of life. In your name we pray.
Amen. Feel free to pray wherever you are as long as you like. The story doesn't end here, though, with this invitation, does it? The story ends with Jesus saying, feed on me. Feed on me. But many people say in verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66, and from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Whether they didn't understand, whether they were unwilling to understand, I just encourage you, don't be one who walks away. Don't be one who walks away and says, that bread there, that's nice. I'm not hungry, though. Don't be that. Don't be one who walks away.